another edition of I Guess It's Bedtime Because I'm Talking Like I'm Reading a Bedtime Story. This is Sad Times. My name is Kevin. I'm your host. Thank you so much for joining us, and thank you for stopping by. If you have never listened to Sad Times before, here's a quick primer. Sad Times is a show in which we have a guest come on each week, talk about times where they went through traumatic events, where they were upset, angry, sad, depressed, anxious, any number of things, because these are universal stories uh, in that every human being goes through difficult times, but it's not something that is universally told. Uh, the goal on Sad Times is to allow these stories to be told so that wherever you are listening, whether it be in the car or doing the dishes or, you know, sitting, watching this on YouTube, whatever it may be. I don't even know how you would do that because I don't post these to YouTube, but hey, whatever. Uh that is, the hope is to help people feel less alone. Uh, we do have a website. It is sadtimespodcast.com. You can find all of our episodes there. It's linked to all of our good old social media. And uh, you can also fill out a form to be a guest. Um, today's guest is somebody who reached out via other ways, but it, it has become a guest. So we're going to get to him in just a moment, but we do have to pay the bill. Bills. Last time I checked, we have more than one bill. Uh, and so we will go right to our sponsor, which is my increasingly sad times is brought to you by my increasingly draconian self-pity. Yes, I have my health and a roof over my head and a podcast I'm passionate about, as well as an overlarge library and an insatiable fruit by the foot habit. But I can barely come up for air from the solipsism that is my forties. That's my increasingly draconian self-pity. Hey, it's a living except that it is in no way a living. All right, great. Got to pay those bills. So as always, we do ask you to support our sponsors. Please use the code F-A-K-E. That's F-A-K-E at checkout. So they know that we sent you. All right, enough of that. Let's get to our guest today. Uh, he is a man named Brian. Brian, how's it going, man? I'm doing all right. How are you, Kevin? Oh, man, I'm, I am hanging in there. As I just showed you before we recorded, I got this nice Orson Welles biography. Brent bought me some Taco Bell a little bit ago. I'm feeling good. Feeling good for the time being. We'll see how the Taco Bell comes out. Well, yeah, that's, that is the truth, my friend. Uh, where are you located? I'm in Boston, Mass. I love Boston. And are you from there or around there? Yeah, I grew up here 20 miles north of the city. Okay, cool. How long have you lived in Boston proper? Boston proper, I would say 13 years now. Okay. Um, do you live like, do you, how would you compare? Are you a big Red Sox fan? I guess is what I wanted to ask you. You know, I feel like I was, and then we got spoiled. You know, we won four World Series in a short span, and I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if baseball just kind of lost some of its luster, and, you know, we're so busy now that baseball is a slower game, but definitely somehow those four titles kind of took a little bit of a, I don't know, some of the excitement away, whereas, you know, I'm a Patriots fan and we won six Super Bowls and, and that didn't. So I, I don't know. I don't know what happened. Interesting. Well, why don't you brag some more about your baseball team? <laughs> uh, I My team has won one World Series in the last 115 years, but boy, it was pretty cool. 2016, our teams, my team being the Cubs, our teams almost were both five outs away from the 2003 World Series. If you recall, I don't know if you do. And uh, we both hosed it real bad. But you guys came back the next year with one of the most amazing comebacks ever, down 3-0 to the Yankees. And Dave Roberts stole that second base. And then 
wow, rest is history. Um, so you're still a big football fan then? Yeah, I'm, yep. uh, I'm all in on the tank right now for the Patriots. We get the number two draft slot if the season ended today. And I don't know, it'd just be fun to draft uh, a high profile prospect and try to get back on the upswing, you know? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, the Patriots were good when I was in college. Uh, I remember going to a Super Bowl party. It was either Tom Brady's first or second of his 92 appearances. You know, uh, I've never hated the Patriots personally. I mean, uh, culture of winning, all that good stuff. Um, how are you? Is it weird for you being for so many after so many years of being at the pinnacle to be whatever you guys are now, three and nine or or whatever it may be? I think we're two and eleven today. I'm pretty Ooh, sure. Even better, maybe two and ten. But it's a little weird, although at the same time, not to brag too much about the sports, right? And and I have nothing to do with them. I just live here. But (laughs) we got the Celtics who are doing well. Mm -hmm. We got the Bruins who are doing well. Mm -hmm. So Patriots taking a back seat for now, but maybe they get a good draft pick. That would be cool. And then the Red Sox, like they sounded like they wanted to sign some free agents. And I think the winter meeting started today. So, you know, I mean, we, we had, like you said, we had a great run. I don't I don't know if anybody will see something like that again. I don't expect to see something like that again. So we're very fortunate and I think the whole town got a little spoiled. So I try to keep that in perspective. I hear you. I mean, I I think that growing up a Chicago sports fan, <clears throat> we got spoiled when God played for the Bulls for a while. And uh so it's I think the other God, the one who is subservient to Michael Jordan was probably like, well, no more championships for those people, except for the white Sox, but they're like a double a baseball team. Ha. Okay. Um, enough of that shit. So you're in Boston. <clears throat> you reached out. I want to talk about the books that you've written and start there. And then we'll kind of end there as well. You have these books that are called get out of your head books. Tell us what those are. Yeah, they're, they're a combination of like memoir and self-help books. They basically take some of my own personal history with anxiety and depression, spin it together with some research, some interesting stories, and some of, I guess, the, I wouldn't necessarily say like the best tactics or um, strategies that are that are in the industry, but the ones that I liked and the ones that resonate with me. And so those books are kind of me just spinning my own narrative, right? And saying like, hey, here's what I have been through. Uh, Here are some things that might help you, the reader, that have also helped me. And they are kind of my, I don't know, contribution to the space, if you will, right? I think I I say a lot of different times, like when you go through mental illness, you, you get to the point where like you deal with a lot of pain, right? If you if you're in and out of anxiety, depression, OCD, PTSD, whatever the thing may be, you experience a lot of pain. And if you start to make some progress with any of those conditions, you start to feel like I don't I'm not going to say euphoric, but you start to feel like relieved, right? You're like, yeah. "Oh my goodness, like I I finally had a little bit of a breakthrough here with something that I've struggled with for so long." And that was the case for me as well. And so somewhere around 2015, 2016, I had sort of a breakthrough moment on the anxiety front. And I had been taking a lot of notes for myself and I eventually looked back and I was like, you know, I'm just so passionate about this space because I care so much about it that I don't know, I want to I want to share what I've learned with other folks. And that was sort of the impetus behind the first book and then creating the brand, which led to the second book. And so, yeah, I'm really just trying to help other people that are going through it because, um, it, like I said, it's it's difficult at times, as you know, and I think when you connect to that difficulty and you see it in other people the the humanity and you really makes you want to lend a hand. 
Oh man, that is that is extremely well said. Um, where can people find these books? Do, do they have their own uh, website? Uh, can they find them on Amazon? Where where can people find them? Yeah, if you go to my website, which is getoutofyourhead.com, so that's all one word, no dashes, no spaces in that, you'll find both the books there. If you were searching on one of the major retailers like Amazon, you would find them as well. Uh, I Brief disclaimer, there is a different book of the same name that uh, kind of ranks above me, so that can be a little bit confusing, disappointing, whatever, um, but look for me. Look for my name. You'll You'll find me. You know, in a fit of desperation, Brent, I uh, I attempted to buy getoutofyourhead.com because I hoped I would get out of my head, and then I found out that somebody already owned it. So thanks, Brian. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <clears throat> okay, so you said you had a breakthrough about uh, 2015, 2016. You were taking notes. So um, when you say you were taking notes, would you kind of take, was it like a like a journaling type thing, or would you would you kind of go through a mental health situation or crisis and then kind of write down what you felt. What do you mean by taking notes? Yeah, for sure. So a couple different things. I did journal more at the time. I feel like I don't journal as much now because sort of my blogs and my books have become the journals where I'm sort of working through the emotions, right? Um, So the journaling there was helpful, but also I would, you know, I, I sort of looked at and, and and I'm not saying that everybody has to do this or should do this, but I sort of looked at the anxiety and the depression as like experiments, if you will, will, or I was trying to experiment with my anxiety and depression. And so I would say, okay, like I'm going to do this thing that I'm scared of, right? That that makes me nervous. And let me try some specific tactic that I heard about. So whether that's like, you know, reciting a mantra to myself or doing some deep breathing before the, you know, the event, if you will, I would try these different things out. And then either during the moment or after it had passed, I would sort of debrief, right? And I'd say like, okay, what what worked in that situation? Which one didn't? And also like, you know, kind of going back to the the all-encompassing nature of some of these things, right? I, I remember being back in college and early, um, I guess, post-grad, if you will, whatever the whatever the term is there. Like I spent, and, and, and a lot of people can attest to this, right? Like it, they have been through this as well. If you really suffer with anxiety and depression, like you are there many, many hours a day. And so for me, I look back and I'm just like, it was almost as if I was running these like simulations or thought experiments or just sort of like breakdowns in my mind, trying to be like, okay, uh, I've tried this a million times. What's going on? I've tried that a million times. What's going on? And you eventually, if you spend that much time in your own head, like it leads you somewhere, right? It either leads you like to therapy or to um, a specific, like, I don't know, thought leader or something, or you eventually say, look, I've been chewing this specific idea over, or I've been running these patterns in my head for like, two years now, the last month, the last six months, whatever. And eventually something kind of like, I I don't want to make it sound too, uh, I don't want to over embellish, but it's like something like hits you across the face, right? And it's like, dude, you've been doing that for a really long time. Do you, do you really think that you're all of a sudden like going to have a breakthrough on that front, right? Sometimes people will say that insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what I'm alluding to here is like, there's only so many days that you can sit at your desk on your dorm room and ruminate, you know, until midnight before you're like, wait a second, dude, like, it's not that you haven't figured this out yet. It's just that like the path you're going down is not a valid one. Yeah. And man, it, (laughs) you talk about rumination, you talk about, uh, you said running a simulation, but I, I, it made me think of, um, our brains when anxiety is so exhausting. Uh, it, 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 you're not like running or anything, but it, your brain is 
constantly churning. And so it wears you the hell out. So even, you know, for somebody who maybe is working two jobs and their, their mind is just going like crazy, they're exhausted from the work and then they're exhausted from the anxiety and it's it's hard for them to get a grasp of it. I I, I think. Would you say that's about this? Would you say that's a fair uh, statement? Oh, absolutely. And you know, I I think one thing to sort of reiterate here, or emphasize, is the fact that like most people, and and like myself included, right? Like we're just trying to get by. We're we're trying to make ends meet. We're trying to work. We're trying to just live normal lives. And so, I guess it's it's almost like if you are spending all your days like working, trying to make ends meet and whatnot. There, there might not be as much time for the anxiety piece, and right, and that's why sometimes, like, I mean, I would recommend that anybody who who wants to try it out, like, go seek a therapist. But like, sometimes it's like there isn't enough space, right? If you're a parent and you're working two jobs and all that, it's like I don't like I'm experiencing anxiety all the time, but I almost don't even have time for it, or at the mm. very least, I don't have as much time to throw ideas against the wall as let's say Brian did as a, as a high school or a college student, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. And a little bit later, we're going to talk some more, obviously, about your books and about the idea of finding a respite in art and and what we can do, even if it's just changing that ruminating train of thought. It it can be it can feel impossible sometimes, but there are our ways out there. Uh, I I wanted to talk specifically about what I'm just going to call the Hawaii event Uh, and just tell us. Exactly who were you who you were with, you were in Hawaii and what occurred and let's we'll set the scene for us. Sure. So this was the beginning of 2018. I was on vacation with my parents, my brother, his wife, and their son. So it was the six of us at the time. It was the second to last day of us being on vacation, or at least in Hawaii. I think we might have done one night in California afterwards, but second to last day of the trip, I woke up. I don't know, on the slightly earlier side for me at the time, went to the gym. We were in it like, you know, uh, we were in a paradise, right? We were on the beach. You're in, we were, in, we were in Kauai, which is one of the islands there. And it's, it's almost like a, like a, a lush jungle. I think they filmed some of like Jurassic Park there. And so you're, you're like, I'm just in a paradise, you know? So I was like, I don't even want to be on my phone right now. I'm just going to go to the gym. I'm not even going to bring it. No worries, carefree, whatever. So I go to the gym. I do a workout. I come back, open the door. We have like a, you know, it's, a, I don't know, a two bedroom suite or whatever, because there were so many of us. And so I opened the door to like the whole suite. My dad's in the common room and he kind of pops up and he's like, Hey, Hey, did you get the alert? And I'm like, what? And he's like the alert, like the thing, you know, the thing that came to the the, the devices, you know? And I'm like, I, I don't have any idea of what you're talking about. And so I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, all right, like the Patriots. Yeah, I know we we're just talking about them. The Patriots were actually playing in a playoff game that night. So I'm like, oh, like maybe maybe Tom Brady, who was still on the team at the time, maybe he got hurt or something, you know? And so I was like, I asked him, you know, is it about the game? And he's like, no, no, it was, it was about a missile. And I'm just like, dude, what? Like, what What do you mean a missile, you know? And he, he was kind of, I don't know, like at a little bit of a loss for words or something. So I ran over and like picked up my phone and there was nothing on the screen. I'm like, well, I thought I was supposed to get an alert on my phone. And so I realized that there are times, you know, in your normal life where you get the amber alerts and the silver alerts and flash flood warnings and all that. So I turned all those notifications off. So I was like, okay, I guess I wouldn't have been delivered to my phone. So let me open up a web browser and figure out like Hawaii, I like typed in like missile alert or Hawaii missile or something. And it, dude, it was like, it was like the scene out of a like a hell hellscape nightmare, you know. 
all I see is like the embedded Twitter results in the feed. And it's just like, yep, nuke coming to Hawaii. We're all dead. Yep. Another one, another one, another one. And I'm like, that was the moment where I was just like, life flashes before your eyes. And I'm like, oh my God, like we're dead. We're about to get blown off the map. And it was a, uh, as, as you can guess, it was a really scary thing to, to read. And for the next, however many minutes I was just sitting there, like I was, you know, I, I, you and I talked about this previously was in that situation, you know, I think a lot of us say, oh, if I only had this much time to live, like I'd do X and I'd say this and I'd tell everybody how much I love them. And, and I'm not saying that people wouldn't do that. All I'm saying is that is in this situation, I was scared so much that I, I like couldn't even really talk, you know? Yeah. So to be clear, so basically what you found when you look, the alert was saying that there was a nuclear missile coming to Hawaii. Uh, and how, how long did you, how long until it was supposed to make landfall? I didn't know at the time. Oh I turned on God. the news. They didn't know. It was, it was bananas. Like turn on the news. The newscasters are like, we have no idea what's going on. Um, if you can, if you can like maybe pick up like a manhole cover and just like jump down it. And I'm like, oh my god! Like, like this is a nightmare. This is an absolute nightmare. Like, you can't, you can't script this anymore. You know what I mean? It's just like, this is as bad as it could possibly, as as bad as you could draft it up. You know? And I'm like, I swear to God, like I gotta be dreaming. You know, I have to be dreaming. This, this can't be real. And so they were like, we know that there's a missile that's supposed to be coming. We don't know how long it's going to take. And so I know that after the fact, I was like, I went on Google. Like this was like months later after I had calmed down about the situation a little bit. I was like, okay, so if Let's just say somebody in Asia sent a missile to Hawaii. How long would it take? And it sounded like it would be like 10 minutes. Uh, I didn't know that at the time. So I'm thinking to myself, like, I, maybe 20, maybe 40, maybe an hour, whatever. So we, I mean, the, all of us in the family, we all came out into the living room and kind of just had a funeral. It was, it was insane. It was absolutely insane. So you were all together and you, did you just tell each other you loved each other and just kind of, what I, I, there is no rules for this, right? So like what, yeah. when you say had a funeral, what do you mean? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, all like, I, I say that in the sense of like the feeling that you get, right? You know, if, if some, like if you're at a funeral and somebody that you love has passed away, it's like, there's almost nothing that anybody can say that's going to like make it better in that moment, you know? And so everybody, we're just like sitting there sulking, crying, like incomplete shock and disbelief you know and and that's the piece that i come back to of saying oh if i was in you know if i was in that situation i'd tell everybody how much i love them and whatnot i would like my brain was just so hijacked that i i, I was i was like distraught and beside myself and i i don't even know i don't even know if i said to anybody like how much i love you like, i was just i couldn't even comprehend what was going on yeah i i don't know how one could uh well uh, since we are not doing this podcast in the afterlife you are still with us thankfully um yes although i i do plan on doing this podcast in the afterlife brent that's just a threat okay uh what happened what what was the deal yeah we we i mean we got lucky uh i think as most people would probably a lot of people would probably know at this point right it became a false alarm so we had been sitting there for somewhere between 30 and 40 minutes Eventually, they sent out another notification that said, essentially, it's a false alarm. And I still had these alerts turned off. So I just hear this blaring like ah, 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 of like basically indicating that another one of these messages is coming in. And I freaked out. I was just like, yep, that's it. Here comes the bomb. We're dead. Like I, it, it, that was, 
I, I don't know. That's got to be like the worst I've probably ever felt in my life for for 40 minutes or whatever, you know? And so my dad reads it and he's like, no, 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 no. We're, we're all set. We're all set. It's a false alarm or whatever. And I just lost it. I cried for like hours. It was wild. So it was basically a mistakenly sent alert. Yep. Ooh, boy. Brent, I told you not to send those alerts like that. Uh, what was going... This might not be an answer, a question you can answer easily. What was going through your head? What were you really... What were you thinking about? Was it about the people around you? What What were you thinking about? I would say it was less about the people around me because I was with them and I was so afraid. It was more like... It was just regret. You know, it was basically kind of doing one of those like Charles Dickens... Christmas Carol, mm. sort of like Ebenezer, Ebenezer Scrooge in front of his grave moments, right? And being like, oh, goodness, now that I'm in this heightened mental state, right? Or like this, I'm in this much pain. I am now looking back at, I don't know, I'd call it the, the, the year before that, the year and a half before that, and being like, I wasted time, you know? I was supposed to be doing X. I was supposed to be doing Y. And, you know, those were basically, I was in a job that I didn't really enjoy. And it was like, I kind of... I, I let myself stay there, you know, and it was like I was hoping to have a family and start a relationship and all that stuff. And I and I I hadn't gotten to that point um, at the time. Still not there, but um, you know, at least I, I felt as though at that time I had kind of checked out and wasn't giving it the effort that uh, I really should have. And then also on the writing front, right? I had written a f- the first draft of um, my first book, but then I kind of put it down and was you know not necessarily discouraged, but like I had a full time job, so I couldn't do as much on it as I wanted to. And in that moment, it was kind of just like, you know, if you boil it down, right? If you if you take away, I think a lot of us could probably relate to this. If you, if you were able to, which is not easy and probably not even possible, right? If you were able to say, boil away, like, you know, I need to put food on the table, like just say your food is paid for, you know, what are like, strip your life down and say, what are the most important things to you? And what are the things that you, you really want to get done while you're here on earth, right? And for me, it was help people on the mental health front with the writing. It was at least have a job that I enjoyed and was passionate about and, you know, felt as though looking back, it's like, yeah, I contributed and I did something positive, right? And then start a family and, uh, or at the very least, like, you know, have a a serious relationship and, um, you know, just, just grow with that person together. And I was in that moment, I was like, those are probably my three most important things. And I'm not in a good place with them right now. And that was like, if this is how I'm going out, this is regret. And I, yeah, it, it hurt. Yeah. Oh, man. And, and to, to think that you're processing all of that and that's so much to process. And then you don't know when, you know, death will happen. Uh, things of that, that, oh God, that's just compounding the terror. Right. Oh yeah. And do you, do you find that, so you said, you know, oh, the past year, year and a half, I've wasted some time. Have you found, uh, I'm just saying if it was me, uh, have you found that now do you really, are you really cognizant? Oh, I'm wasting time. I'm wasting time. Or did it give you a more, uh, clear perspective on these things, but you're not trying to manhandle all of them at all, all at once, which is what I would try to do. Yeah. You know, it's, I don't really have that like sexy of an answer here. You know, I'd love to be like, uh, I I stepped back, I figured them all out and everything's perfect, right? We're human, you know, we have ups and downs. And so what I would say, like the the actual answer is that for a short while uh, that year, I did pretty well on the, like I quit my job, I went and worked somewhere else that 
I was working. I was I was enjoying for a little while. Uh, I was in a relationship for a little while, and that was cool. And I eventually, you know, that same calendar year, I put out the first book. And so I did all those things that I like. You know, I, I made progress on all those things that I wanted to make progress on. And then, um, you know, like the the job that I had gone to, I guess it, you know, kind of it wasn't exactly what I thought it might be, and I I got I grew discouraged by that. You know, left the the relationship ended. Um, and then like, I mean, I was still doing the writing stuff, but like had to, had to keep working on that. So it was like, you know, I, I don't know if you ever get, to, if anyone ever gets to a point where they're like, I'm, I did everything I want to do. It's perfect. And I'm done. You know, it's kind of like these, maybe not necessarily baby steps, but it's like step function, right? Where there may be some years where you're like, I'm advancing towards these goals that I want to advance toward pretty largely. Uh, and maybe other years, baby steps or whatever. Um, and so, you know, for me, it was like definitely a moment of clarity early on. And then later that year, actually, which was, I, I was, what I would say, right, is I think I focused so hard on the Hawaii event and the notion of like, you know, don't let your life pass by. And to be honest, like thinking about death and like dying and all that, I think I focused on it so hard that I kind of like sent myself, I, I almost tipped the scales in the opposite direction. Mm. And I put myself in a, in a depressive, like a pretty bad depressive state. And that ended up like, you know, as I was working my way through that depressive state, um, that ended up being sort of the foundation of my second book. And, you know, I, I guess, you know, I, I, I'm open to the idea that like, we have no idea where our lives are going to take us. Right. And I would love to go back in time and be like, Hey, I didn't go through that depressive episode and, um, things were amazing and all that, but like the journey was what it was. And if I said, Hey, I want to help people with all this stuff, then you know, I, I don't know if I believe in fate and all that, but like, I do believe in like, you have to play the, the, the hand that you're dealt. Right. And for me, that hand became, I went through this really dark time, like a year later. And I, I, I don't say this, like, I really don't say this bragging. I'm just, I just say that, like, I took the cards that I was dealt and I said, how can I make the best of this situation? And that became writing that second book, expanding the brand and trying to help more people. Um, and, and also along the way, like, you know, humbling myself a little bit and being like, look, I don't have this all figured out. I may never have it all figured out, but the 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 goal is still just to try to help as many people as I can and, and you know, do it humbly, I guess, because uh, I'm not always right and, and none of us are. Yeah. Uh, wow. That's again, really well said. Um, and I am curious as you're going through that depressive episode, one of the hardest things that I've found now, I don't have clinical depression, but like one of the hardest things I think that people have, I would say with depression is it's hard to motivate yourself to change. It's hard to motivate yourself to do things. So when you said, you know, Hey, I, I, I'm going to deal with the cards that I've been dealt was that kind of a really heavy lift at the time or were you just at a point where you're like, I need to change my way of thinking and this is the way, this is my way into getting out of this? Yeah. So for me, right, it's different for everybody. And and, and when I say like kind of it, I'm talking to like the experience of depression, right? So for me in this episode, it was like my doctor would tell you it was dysthymia, which is basically persistent low-grade depression. So you you don't feel well for like a year, maybe two years, maybe longer. Um, that is different, right, than somebody who is going through major depressive disorder. So if you think about MDD, right, it's like that person may have a lot of trouble getting out of bed and doing anything. Uh, I would say I was lucky, I guess, in the in the regard that like I was still able to function. And my doctor would say like, dude, you're like a high functioning depressive, you know, you, if anything, he was like, it is your structure 
It is your routine that keeps you alive. Got it. Yes, that's okay. That's good clarification. Um, and something that you said to me when we talked before, that it's, it's just so simple, but so true, which is living with a mind that isn't your friend makes you feel lousy all of the time. Living with a mind that isn't your friend makes you feel lousy all of the time. Um, that is, that's the God's truth right there. And I don't mean Michael Jordan God. So you have dealt with general things, generalized anxiety disorder, uh, OCD, social anxiety disorder, and then some hypochondria. Um, where, when did these things start manifesting in your life? Would you say, I, I, I know it's hard to like say, oh, it was June 2nd, whatever. But like when, about when did these things start to really manifest in your life? Yeah, it, I, I do want to reiterate, right? Like you said, it, it's hard to, to go back and figure out exactly when these things started. I think it, one, one kind of idea that I've been tossing around lately is like a lot of personality traits, and this is not clinical, so I, I, I'm, just, I'm just a lay person throwing this out there, right? But a lot of personality traits, like we, we will sometimes say like, Oh, you know, look back and be like, wow, I, I don't know when when I turned this way or that way or whatever. You can sometimes go back into your earlier years and see hints of these things, right? So what I'm getting at with that is I would say that with the anxiety, it's like it didn't really rear its ugly head till I was like 17. Mm -hmm. But if I go back and I think about it, I'm like, there were days where I had to give a class presentation in fifth grade. And it was like, I was so nervous that I knocked my breakfast off the table. And my dad was like, dude. What is up with you, you know? And look, I mean, the the sort of spectrum of anxiety is wide, right? So yeah. it's like we are all we're all humans, we all get nervous. I don't think that we can necessarily point at one nerve-wracking situation and say uh in fifth grade and say, well, we've had anxiety our whole lives, right? But I I start to pick out events like that and see a common theme. And then all of a sudden I kind of see this trajectory, if you will, right? And be like, oh, okay, that's that's a common thread that then sort of manifested in a larger fashion, uh, I would say, when I was 17. And then all of a sudden, it was like, oh, in a way, like, now I'm sort of becoming who, like, the the hints were suggesting, if that makes any sense. It does. It does. Uh, so, so you said right around 17 was was kind of when this was. So you told me there were, were a couple of um, places or kind of – times in your life uh, that you can point to where the anxiety uh, issues really first dawned on you? Two specific events. The first was in uh, high school. Can you tell us about that? Yep. So this was my senior year of high school. I had been seeing a girl that I was really interested in. I would, you know, I, I had said to you, like, I wouldn't really call it dating because like we went on a few dates, but we weren't like an official couple or anything like that. And after a few dates, like it was, it was going okay, but I started to you know, the, my spidey sense was kind of like, uh, oh, like it seems like she's, you know, you just get the vibe that she's like pulling away a little bit or whatever. And so I tried to stay optimistic and basically just, you know, I guess on what AOL instant messenger, whatever it was the those days, uh, you know, talk to her online, talk to her in school and just like, you know, not be overbearing, but just try to like sort of reassure myself that things were going okay and try, and try to keep it going. And eventually like, you know, I would ask her to come over or hang out or whatever every once in a while. And like a few weeks into this period of um, feeling as if she was pulling away, she was like, yeah, I'll, I'll hang out. So we hang out. We we went out to dinner and then we went to my parents' house um, and we were watching a movie. 
And I, you know, I'm 17 years old. I've invested too much emotionally into this relationship, right? And I'm uh, just kind of a <laughs> stupid 17 year old boy, right? Who I don't know. I, I just care, you know, I still care a lot about my relationships, but I cared a lot back then and I didn't have much experience. So, like, you know, we, we talked about this on the phone, which was basically in a way, right? Confidence comes from competence. So, if you, if you're like, hey, I've been on millions of dates, I've been in these situations before, I feel as though I know how to handle things that may come up. There's not as much to be nervous about, right? I'm not saying that you won't be nervous because you might be, and that's just, that could just be human nature. But the more that you've done something, you sort of diffuse that issue in your mind, right? So I'm 17. It's like, to be totally honest, I think those were like the first actual dates that I had been on. Like, you know, we would go to parties once in a while if, if there was one in our small town. Um, but these were like the first dates I'd ever been on. So I was kind of like, I don't totally know what I'm doing. Um, and also I'm just nervous that, okay, I have this girl at my parents' house, but like it doesn't really seem like things are working out between us. So we're sitting on the couch watching a movie. I'm, you know, starting to think about how do I broach the subject of like, you know, hey, what's going on between us or whatever. And and again, I didn't have a lot of experience. So I wasn't, I guess like I was not really like cool hand, if if you if you could say that in my in my delivery, right? So instead of just like starting up a conversation and slowly seeing where it leads, I kind of was just like, Okay, I got to ask her. And as soon as I started thinking about asking her, like, I just got really nervous. Uh -huh. And I got more nervous. And then I got more nervous, right? And I'm, I'm, in, I'm in my head. I'm, I'm sort of like rehashing all my thoughts and making the problem worse. And then eventually, uh, I kind of turned to her and I'm like, you know, just blurt out kind of like, so, so what's going on between us or whatever, you know? And from there, like it, long and short was she basically, I think she was like probably a little creeped out by like the fact that, you know, I didn't handle the situation that well, kind of came off as like jumpy or whatever. Um, and just, like quickly was like, you know, I, I feel like something's off here or whatever. And she was like, well, yeah, yeah. Like something's off. And also like, I've kind of been seeing this other guy and like, like what, you know, what, what is going on with you? You know? And at, so as this is all happening, like I am falling into a panic attack. Like I can't, my heart is racing. My thoughts are racing. My palms are sweating. I, this is at the time I would just say this was as nervous as I, I had ever been. Mm -hmm. I didn't know really the the label of a panic attack. And so we're sitting there, you know, having this really awkward conversation and then like, and we're sitting next to each other on the couch. Right. And she's like, kind of one of those, like, um, repeating what she had said, or I'll repeat what she said. She was kind of like, yeah, I'm like kind of seeing some other guy. And like, I don't think we should hang out because of that, but also like, what the hell is going on with your shirt? Like, you're like, your heart is like pounding, you know? And I'm just like, Oh, oh goodness. Now she knows. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I, I'd like to be, I, I look back at it and say, like, it was a disappointing event and it was difficult to go through because I cared so much about, you know, that, how that interaction went, how that relationship went um, at the time. Right. And when you're 17 years old and, you know, I was lucky to be raised by a wonderful family in a wonderful neighborhood and, and didn't have a lot of problems. Right. Mm -hmm. That kind of like at the time that felt like the end of the world to me, you know? And so it was like, she left that night. I had no idea what I experienced besides the fact that I went through a bout of nervousness, right? And so that kind of sparked this situation in my mind where it was like, I became obsessive of, of whatever it was that I dealt with. So I was like, for the next however many months, at least, I, I'm not saying this is a good, this is not a good game plan, but at 17 years old, my game plan was I am going to just basically like ruminate over that situation for the next many mm. months. And 
I don't know. I guess naively, I hoped that if I thought about it enough, I would eventually come to an answer. And I st- you know, started reading all these different material online. And, you know, depending on who you talk to, there's a lot of great info out there. There's also some not so great info out there, right? And so I'm I'm reading these ebooks where people are like, you gotta like man up and like face your anxiety <laughs> like a demon and like slay it. And Ooh. I'm just like, you know, at the time, at, at 17 years old, I'm like, yeah, that's so cool. And now I'm gonna go lift weights afterwards. Yeah, but like when I step back and I think about all that, I'm like, that is not a good way to approach that stuff. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, and I'm going to misquote it a little bit, but I'm going to paraphrase a Jonathan Safran Foer quote from um, uh, "Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close," his second novel. He says something to the effect: the character says, "I've thought myself out of happiness a million times. I've never thought myself into it." Something to that effect. And I remember reading that at 16. I was like, well, this guy hasn't tried hard enough. Just kidding. (laughs) Uh, 16, I meant, sorry, 24. Uh, But yeah, so that made me think of that. But it's so interesting that we do think our brains are like, well, if I just think long and hard enough about it, I'm going to get to the root of it, and then that will somehow solve the problem. Um, So you had a similar – oh, go ahead. Sorry, one thing that I just want to add, because I feel like it's it's an interesting thing that I sometimes mention on – on podcasts is so there's this Albert Einstein quote, or at least attributed to Albert Einstein that is, is pretty similar to the quote that you just mentioned. And he basically says the same level of consciousness that created a problem or you, sorry, you cannot solve a problem with the same level of consciousness that created it. And so it's that same thing, right? It's like, we say to ourselves, like, if, if, right, if we become anxious by thinking about something too much, we say to ourselves, we will think about it some more and we will eventually get ourselves out of that problem. When in reality, like according to the quote, right, that same style of thinking is not going to get you to some other side. You're just going deeper into the hole. You almost, and this like comes back to the brand and the ethos of what I do, right, is like much easier said than done. But instead of like chewing the problem over and over and over again, you have to back yourself out of the hole, get out of your head and go do other things that have nothing to do with the thing that you're thinking about. Exactly right. Yeah. Uh, and again, changing that that thought pattern and something different is is very good because it is easy to get into that groove, man, where you just over and over and over. Um, you, you told me that you had something similar happen, I believe, in college, which was kind of the second real big indicator that you, that you were dealing with some anxiety issues. Can you tell us about that? Yep. So almost a continuation of the first one, if you will. You know, I had I had mentioned that for the next however many months after that first event, I was I was looking around every corner for anxiety, right? And being like, I'm going to somehow figure you out and I'm going to, you know, cut you down in size, wh- whatever the heck that even means. I, I don't really know. But <laughs> but but also just like thinking about like to me, right, at the time at 17 years old, and I'm, I'm lucky to have been able to been in this position, but at the time that seemed like the biggest problem in the world to me, right? And so when you have a really big problem, I guess your brain may say, we're going to focus exclusively on this problem, right? And so I, all I thought about was anxiety and panic and whatnot for the next however many months. And so I get to college and I guess, you know, sort of like almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy, if you will, right? If you're thinking about doing things all the time and you're putting your body in this specific heightened state, like an anxious state, like you're more likely than not to make yourself anxious and then uh, go through what you would call like anxiety provoking events or or have these experiences that are laced with anxiety, right? So I'm in that mind frame for a really long time. And I ve- eventually get to college, I meet this girl early on at college that I was taking a liking to. And she had 
I want to say this was probably the third week of college, third weekend of college. She had texted me. It was like a Friday night. I was just hanging in. I, I don't know where we were. One of the, one of the guys' rooms on the floor or whatever. And she was like, she was texting me. And I, long and short was she wanted to come over. I could tell that like she had had a couple drinks based on, you know, when you're 17 or 18 years old and you have a couple drinks, you can tell uh, via the way that words are spelled. Uh, <laughs> and this is not, you know, this is not like nobody was trying to take advantage of anybody in this situation. This was two dumb kids, right? Um, and uh, well, sorry, I, I was the dumb one. I'll yeah, we'll leave her, leave her out of it. <laughs> That's fine. Um, yeah. Yep. So uh, she, you know, long and short, she's like, I want to come over. And I was like, well, I, I do want her to come over, but I'm nervous and I'm sober. And so I've sort of like put myself, you know, I'm, I'm like, okay, she basically said she'll be over in 15 minutes. So I'm going to like, I, I don't, I don't even know what I was trying to do, but I was like, I'm going to get in the right mindset to try to not be nervous for this interaction. Right. Cause for the last six months, I've been thinking about panic and anxiety in my relationships and intimacy and whatnot. So let's try to avoid that. And I mean, I was already nervous when I, when I knew that she wanted to come over. And so I go walking down the hall, trying to like clear my head or something like that. And like, Basically, she showed up really early. So she shows up like a couple <laughs> minutes later. Wow. And she's like, okay. Brian. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, I'm not ready for this. And so we're in the hallway. There's like a sort of like a fake study lounge in the hallway with like a couple chairs there. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to try to play it cool. I'm just going to like sit down on this chair. And she just comes up and like jumps into my lap. And within seconds, she's just like using a lot of curse words, but uh, being like, you're shaking. What is wrong with you? I am out of here. Oh. And I was just like, oh, no, like, this is panic attack number two. And, you know, I I, I guess I would say, like, you know, I, I look back now and I'm kind of like, and people have said this to me too, right? They're like, no, I, I mean, absolutely no disrespect to either of those girls because, like, they, they're humans and they have no idea. They probably don't even know that these things, you know, affected me or anything. And I'm, and I don't, you know, I taking responsibility for the situation. At the same time, people will say to me, like, it's unfortunate that, like, that happened in that fashion, right? Like you had somebody who just like jumped on your lap immediately sensed that you were freaking out and then ran away, called you a bunch of names. And like, you sort of, sort of didn't talk to them for a while. Right. I was just, that was sort of one of those moments where I had no idea what to do. I was like, I am broken. Um, I don't know if I'll ever find a relationship, whatever, you know, whatever, um, what's the right word? Um, catastrophizing you do mm -hmm. as a 17 year old. So mm -hmm. that, that was, again, I, I, I like to put these things in perspective and say, I know that a lot of folks that are listening have been through a lot worse than that. Sure. But these are, these are the points that you realized, okay, there's something else going on here. Not just, I get nervous about giving a speech in fifth grade, right? Like these were the big signposts to say, okay. And it sounds like you kind of took it and you tried to read what you could. Um, uh, you said that you would read books. I believe you, you went to therapists, you talked to different people, and then you kind of found the tactics for you that resonated with you. Um, so that is your journey, right? Not everybody's going to do it that way. And, and, yeah. you know, there's no prescriptive way to do this. Um, what from doing that is that what led you to think you know what i'd like to put my own um you know book into the world that is my contribution to this same thing because you went to so many of those whether they be self-published audiobooks what ha what have you is is that kind of what led you to start writing your books short answer is yes longer answer is that you know if, if those two panic attacks happened at 17 my first book didn't come out till I was 28. So there were some twists and turns in the journey, but that those two incidents were like definitely a big spark. And then as I learned things along the way, I kind of kept coming back to the idea of like, 
yes, I'd like to contribute. Yes, I'd like to help others. And I think, you know, at the time, right, uh, because I was in a lot of pain, I and I was so frustrated, and I didn't know where to turn. I felt, and, and you know, I, I think it's also the the information landscape is different today than it was 15 years ago, right? I was so frustrated that in my mind, right, it's not like I had picked up every single book and talked to every single therapist, but I struggled to find the information. So in my head, I was like, because I struggle with that, and I feel as though the conversation around mental health at the time was not where it needed to be from a societal level. I was like, going back to the contribution piece, I want to help. I want to add to that conversation, and I want to help that person, right, that is in their dorm room being like... I don't even know where to turn, but I guess I found this guy's book online and let me see if it helps because there are so many times that people are struggling and, you know, if you can catch them and it's not, it has nothing to do with sales, right? It's like, if somebody were struggling, I will give you a million copies of my own book out of my own hands, out of my own pocket. I I don't care, right? Um, But it's like, if you can catch them in those difficult moments, right? That can be the difference between them getting put on a good path and them struggling for a while and being like, well, I read a bunch of weird ebooks and now I don't know what to do with myself. And now I'm even in a darker place than I was before. Whereas if if from day one, they're like, I listened to a podcast that was actually helpful and I feel a little bit more hopeful, or I talked to a doctor who knew what he or she was talking about. And I'm I'm be- I'm on a, a better path now. That is so invaluable for people who are, you know, especially starting this journey and kids who are young. Like I'd say, you know, obviously we all deal with a lot of emotions, but when you're 17 and the hormones are flying and whatnot, mm. like one little thing can be the difference between make and break. Yeah, that's true. Um, that's very true. And, in you know, I was speaking with somebody else on a, a previous episode talking about just random acts of kindness and how far they can go for people. Um, and another thing that you told me about is um, you participated in an ayahuasca ceremony a few years back. What is that? Yeah, so I- ayahuasca is a psychedelic brew. It is it's essentially like a, it's a tea, but it's like sort of like the grimiest tea that you've ever drank before. Oh, okay. And so it, it has hallucinogenic properties, which is basically to say that, you know, when you drink it, you may hallucinate, you probably will. So if you, if you participate in a ritual or a ceremony where, um, you know, depending on where you take it. So I took it at this place in Florida, uh, called soul quest. They do a lot of advertising. They're not trying to hide themselves. Um, and they, they do it legally with an exemption through the DEA and all that. Um, oh, I, we don't necessarily need to get into all that, but anyway, they have you go through this. It's, it's a real, it's a religious experience that they put you through, right? They're trying to say you are connecting with spirit, uh, you know, your heart, the inner parts of you. And so they are trying to make sure that you have a good journey and you get something out of it. And so they'll be like, okay, uh, you have to take this seriously, right? Before you get there, you have to go on a diet or a cleanse and make sure that your body is ready um, for for the substance that you're going to take. And you you know you can't be on any street drugs or any psychi- uh, psychotropic drugs. So it's like it's a real serious thing. But you know, long and short is you go to this place, you kind of have some intentions of like, hey, these are the issues that I'm working out in my mind that I want help with, um, and sometimes you know the the tea has a mind of its own, but you will more than likely than not go on this psychedelic journey where, you know, without having a better way to describe it, you sort of like journey through your own subconscious and see like some of your own blockers um, and go through some of your traumas and your shadow and sort of the darkness in you and try to work through that stuff. Is that like the young, like Carl Jung shadow? Like what, what do you mean by shadow? 
I would I would say yes. Okay. Same concept, right? It's it's sort of I say shadow as in things that are pulling the strings in your life that you do not even realize or you have forgotten oh, are pulling the strings in your gotcha. life. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Wow. Journey through my subconscious, huh? Ooh, I think I'll ooh, I never really liked tea anyway. Um <laughs> so you also have somebody who watches over you, right? Uh and there were it wasn't just you, right? There was a number of people there. And it was a very safe environment, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. And, and I am, I am not like, I'm in no way affiliated with, with this place. I am just kind of, you know, given my experience, Mm -hmm. there was about a hundred people there, a hundred participants, and they break you into cabins. You can kind of pick where, like, based on the price that you pay, you can get a smaller cabin or you can be in a bigger environment where like you're next to people that are drinking the tea and having the experience. Um, In my cabin, I want to say there were like 14 of us. And then there were three or so guides slash shamans. And, you know, I think a lot of people like it, it varies, right? If you go to say Peru and do this, you more likely than not would have like a dedicated shaman or you would have a shaman for like you and your friend, right? But at this particular place, there was, let's say a ratio of like, I don't know, one to five, one shaman for every five people or whatever. And so they are at least at this spot, they are not necessarily trying to like influence your journey. They're just looking out for you and being like, okay, they they will know when people are struggling and they'll go over to that person and kind of help them through it. Because what happens is like, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Like I I don't necessarily recommend this to everybody. Right. Um, It's a harrowing experience. It can be a harrowing experience. And so what can happen is you can sort of like start going into your subconscious mind, right? Start digging things up and you can get stuck on certain things. So if you've experienced something difficult in your life, if you have, you know, have trauma in your life, the the tea and the experience may dig that back up and you may say I don't want to deal with this right now, right? I I I am resisting dealing with this. And as as much as it stinks, right? Cuz you don't want to go to the other side. You don't have to, you don't want to have to work through it. What they usually say, right? And it's sort of, you know, that I guess in drug experiences in general, people will say go with the flow and all that, right? Is mm. they say that like, as you resist this, you make it worse. Uh-oh. If you open up to the experience, uh, you will not get stuck on it so much. You won't loop on it so much. You will feel better mentally eventually, right? You're going to have to get through it. Um, but like, you know, there's also, there can be like vomiting involved and they they will often say that like, if if you get stuck on one of these, you know, ideas that comes up from your subconscious, you may put yourself in a state where you are vomiting more. And so it's like, if you're trying to avoid that stuff, and I mean, it's so, it's so hard when you're in that moment and there's so many emotions going, it's so, so hard. Um, but yeah, I guess the idea, right, is like somebody's coming over to be like, hey, I, I feel as though Kevin is maybe stuck on this thing right now and I, I can see it. And so I'm going to go try to help him and ask him questions and, and guide him through it. Yeah, I mean, because you're also describing when having, at least when I having panic attacks, often if if somebody talks to you about something else, that helps get you out of the panic attack. Because again, it's the new, it's a new tra- uh, new line of thinking, etc. Um, another thing that you you have dealt with is uh, OCD. Um, tell us about some of uh, some of the things that you do, kind of. Uh, uh, well, I'll say it this way, and, and I've said it multiple times on the show. Um, some people say, oh, I'm OCD about the dishes or I'm OCD about folders, uh, to which I say, well, I'm OCD about life. Uh, what are some of the ways that your OCD presents itself in day-to-day living? For sure. So you and I talked about this. We had a couple. I kind of forgot that I earlier this year I had made a list 
I was okay. like, there was a point in time where I was like, yeah, like I, the OCD is, is kind of hitting hard right now. And mm -hmm. I was like trying to help myself do less of the, I don't know, the OCD related things. So I wrote it down. And so we talked about, right, like being on the highway, driving and repeating license plates that are like on the road. Yep. That's definitely one. Um, a common one with a lot of folks with a, uh, OCD, right, is, is tapping in some capacity. And so for me, I, I either tap in like, it makes no sense and I, I, I can't make sense of it, but I tap in basically like I'll do a five tap, a five tap, and then a four tap. And somewhere in my mind, I'm like, I equated that is five times five times four equals a hundred. And I have no idea yep. why a hundred, like, mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe like school exams or something. And I wanted to get a hundred. Nice round no number. Clue. Yeah. It's just, it's bizarre, right? Yeah. Uh, cracking knuckles and toes. Um, some of my teeth like have these little wiggles to them. Like, you know, there, yeah, I had braces and I uh -huh. wore a retainer or whatever. And so it's like, when you take the retainer out, the teeth will have these little tiny wiggles and they'll almost like crack a little bit. And I will just go back and I'll just crack, 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 crack this tooth. And then I'll have to be like, dude, you got to stop it. You just cracked that like 15 times. You yeah. Know? Do you find Stuff too, like when you're doing these things, tapping, um, uh, license plates, the, the cracking your teeth, do you find relief from them in the moment? Or is it something that you're so, it's not even, you're not even thinking about doing it. Definitely no relief. There's no yeah, doubt about right. that. <laughs> yeah. I would say either I do it and I don't realize it, or I realize it and I'm like, dude, you got to stop. But there's like something in the brain that's just like, wants to keep doing it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, what, and you said that exercise does a lot for you, especially with, I, I'm sure with all of this, but with OCD. So you do, what, what type of exercising do you do? So right now, I, like I, I have been a big runner in my life. I, I love running. It gets me out of my head. It kind of puts me in a nice state. I'll bring, you know, some music with me. And it's just like, it's, it's a borderline religious experience. It's, it's, it's funny. Uh, but I've had some back problems this year. And so I stopped running for about six months. My physical therapist is like, you should start running again. Uh -huh. um, I know this is not a physical, may, maybe not a physical health podcast, but um, it was just interesting. Like I went to physical therapy and basically, you know, the message that I got from the physical therapist and like, she's been amazing. It's crazy. Like how much they know. And she was kind of like, all right, well, how do you work? Where do you work? You know, do you have a desk job? What is your desk setup like? How is your back situated as you're working? Uh, and then also, how do you walk? How do you run? And it's like, it blew my mind to be like, I have to learn how to walk again. Because like, like nobody teaches you how to walk and you, you it almost feels like you should just be able to walk however you want. Yeah. But she was like, in, until you do this stuff, right? So like, what I'm really getting at is, she had me on the treadmill and she's looking at how I run. And she's like, you wear these padded shoes or like, you know, we, we all have padded shoes because we wear running shoes. She's like, your stride is such that your heel comes down first. And so oh. you're providing no padding or no like sort of soft landing to your body. And that shock, which normally would be absorbed by your calves is going straight up into your lower back and your sacrum. And so you have all this pain in there. And so much of it is because you don't know how to walk and you know how to run. And it's like, Hearing that was just hysterical. I was like, I don't know how to walk. I've been walking for 33 years. You yeah, know? I know. Right. And the moment I started walking, my parents were like, you're doing great. And I'm like, okay, I guess this is the way to do it. You know? Yep. Um, you also have dealt with social anxiety. Uh, and, and I think there was obviously uh, examples of that in the, the two stories you related from high school and college. Um, tell me about how that 
affects you on a day-to-day level or kind of where that that crops up and kind of how you deal with it. Yeah, that one is interesting, right? Uh, the, what's so interesting about it is that like, I think so many of us like with anxiety, right? Avoidance becomes a tactic. I'm not saying it's a, it's a good one. I'm not mm-hmm. saying it's an empowering one, but it becomes one, right? And so it's almost like, right? If, if let's just say, uh, if going to the beach makes you nervous, right? Then you, you might develop a pattern even subconsciously where you're like, I'm not going to go to the beach. And so for me, it's like, if I don't have job interviews and, you know, dates with people that, you know, women that I'm interested in, um, if I don't have those sorts of events on the calendar, my anxiety is, is not as bad. And so I, I know that I have caught myself at times being like, oh, I didn't necessarily do this on purpose, but I haven't been on a date in six months. And there is almost mm-hmm. like a, again, it's, it's subconscious where it's like, I know that when I'm like, when I prepare for a date, like I have it, oh, you know, it's, it's on the calendar a week from now, my body kind of goes into a fight or flight state or gets nervous for like that whole period, you know? And so it's like, I'm looking not like, that's just kind of the hardware, I guess I'm dealt with, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, my body goes into that state and I do my best to counter it. But I'm, I would be lying if I said that, like, there aren't times where it's like, dude, like, that's just annoying. I don't, you know, I don't want to have to deal with it. And so I, I know that on a subconscious level at times, like my brain has been like, Hey, you know, you could like schedule a date or like go on a date, but like, you could also not. And guess what? Like, if you don't, you're not going to experience as much anxiety. Right. And so I know that that is not a healthy way of coping. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I also know that like, you, you can't just like throw yourself into anxiety every minute of every day, but I try to find this balance of like, okay, like remember not to rest on your laurels. Remember to, you know, push yourself into situations that maybe push you out of your comfort zone a little bit, right? That make you feel a little bit anxious, but are ones that you feel you could manage. Not like if you're, if, for example, if you're like, I would never skydive in a million years, then then don't go yeah, skydiving. Don't, let's right? not start there, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but like baby steps and kind of and kind of keep working. I know that if I let my subconscious mind do what it wants to do, right? I'll be dead and single, right? It's like, I'll be 80 years old and I'll be single. Yeah. But I know that I have to push myself a little bit. And, um, some of the, you know, some of the tactics that I talked about, talk about in my writings, those, which we, we could talk about at some point, those have been helpful. Um, but also just kind of keeping perspective, right. And being like, look, uh, it may be annoying and frustrating and painful to experience these kind of things. Like, you know, if you're preparing for a job interview or a date or whatever, but look back at all your past history, right. And say, how many times have things gone so, so horribly wrong? Most of the time they go pretty well. It just is kind of uncomfortable leading up to it. Right. And so like keeping perspective on those situations helps me. And then once I'm in that perspective, being able to step back and say, look, here's what my body is doing, right? This is what my brain is doing in terms of like revving me up for the anxiety. That's not necessarily my choice. And I'm kind of like absolving myself of that guilt. From there, I'm then going to go over to my quote unquote mental health toolkit, right? And be like, okay, that's just what my brain's doing. Let me sit here. Let me do some breathing, deep breathing. Just try to like get out of this moment, right? Get out of this fear. Maybe go for a walk, go for a run adding all those different things together to be able to get myself to those moments. Um, and, and, you know, this isn't just about me. I think it helps for a lot of people to try to, you know, live in smaller, like day type compartments um, and, and just kind of string victories along, if you will. Yeah, for sure. Um, and yes, I, I in a moment there, I really want to talk to you about some of the stuff that you talk about in your books as kind of a positive, some positivity here, right? Um, but let's talk about good old hypochondria. Um, or, or as I like to call it my twenties. So 
how long have you dealt with hypochondria around the same amount of time that you've been dealing with these other things? Um, and like, does it, how, how does, how overwhelming is that for you? Yeah. I, with the hypochondria stuff, I don't know. Like I, I have not done as much research into my own brain to be like, Oh, or, or, you know, just go through my history and say, Oh, I, I can remember as far back as sixth grade. Right. Um, I feel like it's, it's probably later in the sense where I, I guess when I was a kid, right. I don't know. Like I, I just, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I was convinced that like nothing bad could happen to me or something like that. Yeah. That makes any sense. Uh, I know that, you know, so I, if, I'll say the first thing, right. The first thing that comes to mind, I was in college, I had a skin condition, which is like, it's not a big deal. It's really not. But I didn't know what it was. And so I like, I freaked out, you know, I was like, oh my goodness, like, what if this means I'm dying in XYZ, whatever. And that kind of becomes the pattern, right? I find something that is off a little bit and I extrapolate it out to the widest or the largest degree possible. Um, so yeah, I mean, that event was probably when I was like 20. Um, and, you know, I've definitely had uh, some some more of those events where like, you know, you just convince yourself that something really bad is happening. For example, right, we talked about um, some of the back pain that I was dealing right. with earlier this year. And when that first came on, I mean, I had no idea what it was. I was waking up in the middle of the night and it was actually started in my upper back. I woke up in the middle of the night, like every night for a month or two, just like agonizing, searing pain, couldn't go back to bed, would have to just like walk the streets of Boston, like, or, or on the treadmill, you know, in the gym, at like three in the morning, just to, it was like, if I could get the blood flowing, it would, it would disappear. Yeah. Um, but I had talked to somebody and um, they had kind of said like, you know, it's, it's probably nothing, but it could be cancer. And, Whoa. you know, it, I mean, come on, <laughs> but yes. Okay. So they said that. Go ahead. Yeah. And and again, like this is that was just information that was presented to me. He that person didn't know how my brain works. And so it's it's not right. It's not their problem. Right. It's my problem. Um, but I, you know, like I I actually had um at the time I had one of those whoop fitness devices and I wore I, I was uh, it's like a fitness tracker, right? So it'll track oh kind of like a Fitbit type deal or yeah. Apple exactly. Watch or yep. whatever. Yeah. Yep. So it tracks your sleep, it tracks your walking and all that. And so I had talked to this person earlier in the day and he had kind of said, you know, it could be the C word, whatever. And I was like, okay, well, let me like, I'm freaking out, but let me go to bed. And I went to bed that night and I woke up like 40 minutes later in agonizing pain and I didn't sleep a wink. I was like, I cannot wait until the morning. I can call my mom. I can call my doctor and we can just figure out what the hell's going on, you know? And I, on this fitness tracker, the next day, I open up the app and it just, it's basically like red alert. Like you are, you're in big trouble. Cause like I didn't sleep and all this stuff. And uh -huh. like, I'm in a high stress state. It can, it can detect all this stuff. Yeah. And I was just like, you know what? I'm never wearing this fitness. And yeah, it's dude, like, that's... I'll, I'll, I'll go back to it at some point. It's a great product. But at that time yeah. I was, I was just like, dude, this is not what I need to hear right now. You know? And so it's like the capacity for, for anyone with hypochondria, right? It's the capacity for the mind to blow these things out of proportion. And you know, the, the crazy thing, right? Is like, if you think about anxiety and hypochondria, all this stuff, it is like a well-intentioned mechanism in the body gone wrong. If that makes sense. If it's a survival 100%. Yeah, exactly right. Yep. Yeah. It's like hypochondria, right? Like it would be good to know that you have a condition early on so you can figure it out. Right. But the, the, the sort of where it becomes a disorder is like, Number one, it causes you so much distress just to like sit there and think about the possibilities. And then number two, like I would say for most people, either you don't do anything about it because you're so scared 
or you actually go to the doctor and get like a bunch of tests done. And then like on the 10th trip, your doctor is like, dude, like you got to stop doing this. Like you can't think that you're dying every five minutes. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Right. It could cost you a lot of money. Yeah. Anxiety, man. It, 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 even, even the, the, the most hardcore, it just tricks you every time, man. It, it, and it, 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 because it presents as something like, uh, this is in my brain to help me survive, say a poisonous snake or whatever, but the snake is nowhere anywhere, but you think it is. Um, well, let's, let's, let's wrap up on some, some, some positive things here. Uh, and I, I do have to say this, Brian, uh, listening to you talk today, um, and, and speaking with you before, I love, uh, the optimism that you have. I love the humility and what you're saying. I, I think it's really inspiring thing. And, uh, the fact that you, you continue to try to want to help people, that's what's important. Uh, huge kudos to you. So thank you for that. Um, tell us about the steps that you would say in, that you have in your books that you feel are really good and universal for, for, for not everyone, but for a lot of people to be able to use. For sure. And I, I, I want to say thank you as well. I really appreciate those kind words. Um, yeah. So, so jumping into like some of the steps, right? So I, to frame this a little bit. So my first book is about, you know, living with managing, overcoming anxiety. And so the book is sort of two parts. The first part is like, we're going into the weeds. We're talking about what anxiety is. We're saying when you are anxious, when you become anxious, how do you sort of navigate yourself out of that feeling? And then the second half of the book is higher level. It's like, how do you cultivate a life through various practices where you encounter less anxiety overall? So if we were talking about the first half of the book, I've got these 10 steps that I put in there. I call them the 10 steps to getting out of your head. They're not rocket science. It's more, you know, the, the more that I go back into the book and I'm doing some a little bit of editing on it uh, right now for an updated edition, the more that I go into it, it's like, it's actually the discourse within each step that is like, the most helpful, the most interesting. But at the same time, when you are in that black hole, right? You you said like, okay, when you're in a panic attack and somebody starts talking to you, that is really helpful to pull you out of it. Like there's no time for disc, like uh, there's no time to like read a chapter of a book is what I'm saying, (laughs) right? right? So it's like being able to say, even if these 10 steps are like maybe somewhat common knowledge or whatever, like at least you can, like you could print them out. You could put them in your pocket and you could be like, I'm not feeling so well right now. Boom. Like pull it out and just be like, number five, I'm doing X, right? It just gives you something to latch on to. Yeah. So like jumping into some of those, right? So uh, I, I'm, I'm trying my best to, as I go on different podcasts, talk about different, uh, talk about some of so different steps on some podcasts versus others, just not to repeat myself all the time. So let's talk about step three, which is evaluate the potential outcomes of like what you're dealing with mm. uh, and reconnect to the one you want. And so what what I'm getting at when I talk about this specific step, right, is so I will use myself as an example. If I have a job interview on the calendar, just the way that my mind operates, and I would say a lot of people who are listening, the way their mind operates, right, is like, all right, so you sign up for this job interview and you actually want the job, right? Like why else would you be going to the job interview? Uh, and then like sort of as soon as you sign up for it or somewhere around that time, maybe a couple of days in advance of the interview, all of a sudden, like your brain starts hijacking you, you know, and you're like, like you got the adrenaline going, you got the cortisol going, you don't feel well, you feel nervous. And your brain basically like can trick you into this state where you like, it has you fending off all these negative possibilities surrounding the job interview, right? So if I'm going to the job interview, instead of being like, I want to go there and I want to get the job. I'm like in this black hole of 
what happens if I stumble over my words and they laugh at me? And what happens if I get this question totally wrong? And what happens if like my fly is down? And, you know, you're, you're stewing right. over all these different negative things that you want to avoid. And even though this is obvious, right? Like, I guess uh, it, the most obvious way to say this, which is, is uh, it's too obvious. It, it's not helpful, right? Is to like think about things that would be beneficial for your mind, right? And, and the, the, the nuance, the intricacy there is, is the fact that your brain most likely is trying to hijack you, right? It is trying to prepare you for all these quote unquote threats that exist out there, right? So that way you can fend them off. The problem is our brains were built a long, long time ago, right? And so it's like they were, as you as you said, right? It's like they were built to fend off a snake that is right in front of us, not necessarily like a proverbial snake that lives on the calendar a week from now. <laughs> so it's, yeah. Yeah. So it's it's a sort of different problem that we're dealing with now. And so when I say, you know, evaluate the potential outcomes and reconnect to the one you want, it's it's saying to the reader and saying to myself, your brain has tricked you into thinking about all these negative things and shielded and hidden from you the thing that you probably want. Right. So if if it's helpful, it might not be, because like we can always ruminate over the things that we want too. If it's helpful, just go back to that thing. Be like, hey, you know what, brain? For a second, just just quiet down, right? Right. I'm going to this job interview. I want this job. That's what I'm going to focus on for a quick second. Hopefully, that makes me feel a little bit better. If it doesn't, I'm going to move on. If it does, maybe I'll think about it for a little bit longer, or maybe I'll move on to the next step, right? So it's just reminding ourselves to like try to get us out of that black hole a little bit, because even though it sounds super super obvious, it's the intricacies of what our brains are doing to it to us that makes this stuff complicated. Yeah. That, very true. Very true. And it, I love the idea of that list where you could just pull it out or, or maybe you put it on the notes app on your phone, whatever, so that when you are in, in that very difficult position where you're, you're, the, the panic attack is getting worse and worse or whatever, if you just pull it up and say, okay, that's great. So I'm going to do you know one of these and that will help, again, pull your brain out of that. So I, I, I think that is um, extremely helpful and and tell me again and everybody who's listening and it will be in the show notes what is the website where they can go to get your books yep so it's get out of your head.com awesome get out of your head.com uh there are two of them right so there's two books yep uh they're both on that same website i, mm -hmm. I have individual sites for the books the, the individual books but uh you'll find everything on on that one as website. well as some of your the blog posts you're talking about as well and exactly right um Brian, thank you so much, man. And uh, I really appreciate it. And as we're wrapping up, is there anything else that you wanted to say that maybe uh, you didn't get a chance to say during this conversation that, you know, would you like to say now? Yeah, it's 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 just a message to the listeners, right? Um, I don't come into this conversation like feeling as though I am holier than anybody else, right? I am right there with everybody who is listening. I'm right there with you in this fight. I experienced this stuff. I have experienced it in the past. Um, I think the message, right, is that we're all human. We all go through this stuff. And yet at the same time, like there is the possibility that we can get past some of these feelings, that we can learn to deal with them better, that we can manage them better and possibly even overcome them, right? So even though we talk about, you know, some scary and negative things on this podcast, it, I still want to make sure that everybody knows that like there is much to be hopeful about. There is much to be optimistic about. And you know, if you put in the work and you are dedicated to this uh, and you talk to the right people and, and find the right resources, like things can get better. And honestly, they probably will. So it's like really, really holding on to that hope uh, of that happening because 
um, that's that's what carries you forward, you know? Yeah, and that's it, there is always hope. And there, I love, again, bringing it back to the positive because, yeah, sometimes on this podcast we do talk about very difficult things, but, um, you know, you're living proof that you go through these difficult things and it allows, excuse me, it provides you with a lesson. It provides you with something that you can build off of, which you have done uh, with your books and will continue to do. Uh, Brian, thank you so much. Uh, really, really appreciate it. Really appreciate your time. It's been a really inspiring and good conversation. Um, so thank you very much and um, really appreciate it. Thanks, Kevin. I appreciate all you do in the space. And it's, uh, it's, it's a, it helps a lot. Thank you, sir. Um, and uh, for everybody else, I will go ahead and close the same way I always try to close these episodes, which is a reminder that there is always room for kindness and grace, no matter the situation. And it's even with ourselves, there is always room for kindness and grace. And we will see you next time on Sad Times. You've been listening to a fourth-hand joint.